Well, good morning, church. It is good to gather and worship, isn't it? Even on a day like today, um, I, you know, I was mentioning this the first service. You are all risk takers because you got out and traveled here today in the snow, right? Now, of course, we know if it's down south, things would be shut down probably for a month. Um, but here up north, you guys are adventurers. You are risk takers. You're like, just snow. We're going to church, right? Well, please be safe on the way home. And um, I think Dan purposely was trying to put you in a good mood. Did you notice that every slide during the songs was oceans and palm trees? Did you, did you notice that? I'm in the back looking out the window and I'm looking up the screen. I'm looking out the window. I'm thinking, it's not working, but thank you. Uh, I love it. I love it. Well, here's the thing. We didn't, we did not expect that, um, this morning. So I'm glad you're here. I, I did not expect this. I had surgery on Friday again. Um, this is hopefully the last one. And so it's, it's a quick recovery. Um, I actually got to be awake during it. So it's pretty awesome. You know, laying there, beep, beep. I was, I was just waiting for the beep. But I was going, I'm in heaven, right? Um, it was all good. Um, so just pray for quick healing and it's feeling really good right now. So <laughs> might be the drugs talking. I don't know. But anyway, just Tylenol. I'm okay. Um, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. Um, you, you talk about surprises. When I went to college, I had no clue what a major was. People basically said, when you go to college, you got to choose your major. And uh, what do you want to do with your life? And for me, growing up, everybody said, you're going to be a farmer or a pastor. Farmer or pastor. Farmer or pastor. I lived on a farm. My grandpa was a pastor for 60 years. So I, I don't know, maybe it was a combo. I was going to end up in one of those two places. And for me, I was like, no, I'm going to be a math teacher. Until analytic geometry, trigonometry with a teacher who had to be 150. And she, her first day in that class was like, I've never taught this before. We're all going to learn together. And I think I can't even pronounce the name of the class and we're going to teach this. And it's like, oh boy. Uh, so needless to say, after that partial way through my senior year, I discovered I was not going to be a math teacher. So I went to college thinking, well, what am I going to do? And well, my roommate, he's like, I'm like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, Business. That's where you make money. And I'm thinking, money sounds good. So business it is. So I went into college now going from all these things to now I'm, I'm going to be a businessman, I guess. Um, but halfway through that first semester, I'm sitting in chapel. And I'll never forget that day. I mean, it's in green. I can tell you exactly where I was sitting because it was that day I felt like God saying, you are like Jonah. You've been running. I've told you, and I've, many people have actually told you what you're going to do. But you just keep running, thinking you're going to do your own thing. It was that day I changed my major from business to Christian education, knowing that I was going to go into ministry, uh, not knowing where or all that, but I got back on track. And so when I look at the book of Jonah, I've always said, yeah, I'm like Jonah. But then when I started reading about Jonah and studying Jonah, I decided I don't want to be associated with Jonah I mean, if you've ever read this book, the guy's a jerk at times. It's like, God chose him? Really? I mean, of all the things he did, he chose him? He doesn't seem like a great prophet, right? So I'm going to say I was Jonah-like in my actions, and I figured it out. But what I want to do is, after thinking about all that, I want to take us uh, on a maybe five-week journey here with Jonah. 
just a little short mini-series here. And some of you are going to say, you only got this far through the book today. I know, trust me. It's, this is the intro, so it always takes a little bit longer to settle in. But I want to take us through the book of Jonah. And, I, and we, you don't hear many people preach on mercy. You hear grace. And as a matter of fact, when I first read this, I was like, that's ah, all about grace. But then the more I read it, I felt it's more about mercy. See, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Oh, a lot of us deserve something, but God's like, I'm not going to give that to you. You're not going to get what you deserve. That's mercy. And really, as we read through Jonah, it is all about the mercy of God. So if you would, please open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. We're going to read through that first chapter together, and then we'll dig into his word. Let's, let's read. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked those people are. But Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction in order to get away from the Lord. He went down to the seacoast, to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping that by going away to the west, he could escape from the Lord. But as the ship was sailing along, suddenly the Lord flung a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to send them to the bottom. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten a ship. And all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will have mercy on us and spare our lives. Verse 7 goes on to say, Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended their gods and caused a terrible storm. When they did this, Jonah lost the toss. What have you done to bring this awful storm down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Then he told them he was running away from the Lord. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. Why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will be calm again. For I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors tried even harder to row the boat ashore. But the stormy sea was too violent for them. They couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Because it wasn't our fault. Oh, Lord, you sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice, and they vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, those who know the Bible, those who have studied the Bible, understand there was various styles in how the Bible was written. Various books, a library of 66 books broken into the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
It's a book that's been very divine in how it's been written by over 40 authors, three different continents, a time span of 1,600 years. And here we have all these books, different genres. And one of those is prophecy, books of prophecy. Now, the books of prophecy, if you look up, there's 17 of them. There's five major, 12 minor, and Jonah is one of the minor prophets. I'm sorry, never made it to the big leagues. Poor guy, right? Never, never got to the majors. Maybe someday, right? So for those of us that are thinking like that, let me remind you, it's not about significance. It's not about power. It's not about skill. It were smaller books. They were called minor for one of those reasons because they were smaller books. Now, when we look at this story of all the different prophets and the books of prophecy, you're going to see they are very, for the most part, I should say very, they're all similar except for how Jonah varies from all the others. He's a little bit different. I mean, the, the job of the prophet was basically to stand in between God and the people and basically, I'm going to be the voice box. Whatever God tells me, my job is to go tell the people and, and not to mess anything up in the in-between. If he's bringing it hard, i got to bring it hard. If he's, if he's warning them, I'm warning them. If it's fire and brimstone, it's fire and brimstone. Whatever it is, I'm going to share that. And here's the thing. When you read through all these books of the prophets, you usually have messages and messages and messages. You get to Jonah and you've got a story. The message of Jonah is like a couple words, what he's going to proclaim. It's, it's very short. So God takes basically these prophets, or their circumstances, their personalities, the passions of these individuals. He says, I'm going to give whoever you are my word and then that, mass, that message is going to be divine, supernatural, but I'm giving it to a person who is natural, who is human, and you've got to pass it on. But Jonah, yours is going to be different. Again, as one of the minor prophets, you're to discover that basically a lot of times it was the word came to, for instance, Nahum. And Nahum said this, and then he said that, and then he said so forth. But with Jonah, it's like, boom, it's like short, like one sentence. That's all we know. We'll get into more of that as we get further in the book. But that's the first thing to understand about Jonah and maybe the book of the prophets. And there's obviously a lot more. There are libraries devoted to talking about the, the genres of the, of the Bible, the different literature types. So I'm giving you this like in a nutshell. Here's something else about you're going to discover about the book of Jonah is that it is full of miracles. You know, and it's like, well, there isn't like a whole lot. There's enough in there when you think of how small the book is and that there's about a miracle about in every chapter, right? As you read, you, you immediately start to say, how in the world did this take place? Like, come on, really? And you're really like, really? Now, how did that one happen? And when it comes to reading the Bible, we need to understand this, is that the Bible is full of miracles because the Bible is full of God. Everybody get that? You see, if you have a hard time believing in miracles, you're going to have a hard time believing in God because they go hand in hand. To have faith in God is to believe in the miraculous. If you take the miracles out of the Bible, you might as well take God out of the Bible because you can't have one without the other. And in the book of Jonah, you're going to have one miracle after another. You've got the storm. You've got the lot falling on Jonah. You've got the sea calm when Jonah's thrown in it. You've got the gourd. You've got the worm. You've got the wind. You've got the great fish, which is everybody focuses on now. It's all about the fish, not a well, a fish. The Bible never says well. It's a great fish. We'll get into that one next week more as well. 
But when you look at all of these miracles that he did, boom, 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 it's like, can God do that? God could make a fish that has seven rooms and a wall-to-wall carpet with a big 82-inch screen TV and a fridge, and its dorsal is the satellite dish. God could do it, right? And we're sitting to think, could God? Yes. If he can create the world in six days, he can do all that. Can he make a fish to swallow a man? Yes. Yes, he can. Now, when I as a believer say I accept the miracles, I'm saying this. I'm basically saying that by faith, I believe God's word is true. And everything written in it. And all the miracles that are contained there. Yes, based on faith. Church, listen very carefully. The Bible is not based on science. I hear it often. I want a church that believes in science. Okay, well, God created science, if that helps you understand something, Bear. But understand this, because science has nothing to say about miracles. Let's make sure we understand that, that is true. Science deals in the the realm of what? Repetitive activity. Basically, science comments on that which is put in the laboratory. It's time again and time again and time again. Now we can gather all the data, all the facts. Now we've got scientific proof, right? That's not a miracle. Miracles are outside of the science world. That's why anybody who's in the world of science says, oh, I don't believe it. That's because they're trying to prove something with science that cannot be proven with science because it is God who created science, by the way. When I, as a believer, I say I accept the miracles, I'm saying by an act of faith, I believe God's word to be true, period. Now you look at the Apostle Paul, great theologian, a writer of many books of the New Testament, a man of God, right? But understand this, at one point in time, he said Jesus was crazy. He said his followers were insane. Matter of fact, their claims are false. But then something changed. That's when he was Saul, but then he was changed to Paul. What made him change? It was an encounter. Who did he encounter? Jesus, yeah. Uh, Wait, let's throw another word in there. The resurrected Jesus. That's huge. Because Paul even himself says this. It is the resurrection which gives basis to everything else. That's Paul. See, Paul's saying, listen, you want to believe this miracle? In this miracle you believe this is true? And claim? Here's the thing. Jesus rose from the dead. He was in a dark tomb three days dead. Now he's alive. I met him. So if he can do that, he can do anything. As a matter of fact, he could make a fish that swallows a fish that swallows a fish that swallows a fish that swallows, fish that swallows Jonah. He could. He just used one. But he can do whatever he wants because he is God. Now let's throw this uh, just a little bit more out there because, again, why am I saying this? Because some people don't believe this story is real. They think it's a parable. They, they think, well, it's, it's a made-up story to help you understand something. Let's go to what Jesus had to say about this story. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. Jesus was having a conversation. He said this, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I'm going to give them is the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus is referring to the experience of Jonah as a historical illustration to basically say, I'm going to be resurrected too. So sort of like Jonah was spit out, I'm going to be spit out of the ground and it's going to be awesome, right? The truth is that God is God. He can do anything he wants. Anything. Anytime, anywhere, anyone, because he is 
God. So knowing that about this book, let's dig into the first part of it. Look at verse 1. The Lord gave a message to Jonah, and he basically said this, I want you to get up. I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment because it against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. This is really simple. Get up. That's the first part. That's the hardest part for a lot of us as Christians, as believers, because we're too comfortable where we are. Jonah was comfortable where he was. And God basically said, you need to get up. The word in, in Hebrew is actually arise. In other words, it's not like, hey, if you happen to be passing by Nineveh, could you give him a message? He's like, no, I know where you're at. You need to get up and you need to go. You need to go. And I've got the message. It's, it's really simple. You need to announce my judgment. That's it. Okay, why? God says, because I have seen how wicked these people are. And there needs to be a judgment. Now, some people would say at that point in time, they say, well, wait, wait, why is God allowed to make that kind of judgment? I think we forgot my point earlier about that God is God. I'll go back to that point, okay? But first of all, let's, let's talk about how bad Nineveh was. I'll make this short. In the book of Nahum, chapter 3, that prophet was told to prophesy against Nineveh as well. He said this about Nineveh. What sorrow awaits Nineveh? The city of murder and lies. She's crammed with wealth and never without victims. Hear the crack of whips, the rumble of wheels. Horses, hooves, pound, and chariots clatter wildly. He goes on to say, See the flashing swords, the glittering spears as the charioteers charge past. They are countless casualties, heaps of bodies, so many bodies that people stumble over them. All this because Nineveh, the beautiful and what? Faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught them all with her magic, enchanting people everywhere. See, God's furious with the city of Nineveh. He looks down and says, you are wicked. You're lawless. You're evil. Maybe sometimes we're sitting there saying, wait, was he talking to Nineveh or the United States? Which one was he talking to? He's talking to Nineveh here. And he says, this is bad. He goes, you know what, Jonah? You're my man for the moment right now. In this place, I want you to go proclaim this. Now go. Now here's an interesting thing. When you read about the accusations of God, you discover it's, it's always at the heart of God to give a judgment, to make a declaration, to condemn so that their hearts might be changed. So that they would maybe repent. Because the result God always wants is mercy. He wants salvation. He wants the, I'm bringing my judgment so that you will repent. Because I want to show you mercy. I want to show you mercy. Jeremiah chapter 18 Verses 7 to 8 say this. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be torn apart or uprooted or destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. God says, listen, yeah, you are evil. You're messed up. But, you know, I'm going to destroy you. But you know what? If you repent, I'll save you. That's mercy. That's mercy. And God's way of dealing with nations and individuals are not our ways. Ultimately, you know, we can't make sense of the rise and the falls of empires and nations today, can we? 
the advancement of cities or their demise, except for the fact that God is God and he is judge over all the earth. And he has things that he will set up and he has things that he will tear down. Now, a lot of this we won't understand till we get to heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like, but in my mind I envision like maybe this panoramic view of history and we're going to sit there and say, so that's why that happened? That's why that war was that way? That's why these people acted that way? Now it makes sense. To us with our finite minds, it doesn't make sense. But to God with an infant mind who is understanding of all things and knows all things, makes sense to him. And the book of Jonah is a reminder then that the actions of God, the judgment of God, and the mercy of God are not controlled by my understanding of what's happening. So we have to understand that everything gives acceptance to the hand and the heart of God. That's hard for us, isn't it? Because even sometimes you're watching stuff on TV or you're at a ball game and you see, that's unfair. Somebody should. You're right. But we're not God. Only God can step in and say, I'm going to show you some mercy, right? So to Nineveh, he's supposed to go. What does Jonah say? He doesn't say anything. There's, there's nothing recorded there. It's like, oh, okay, God. No, I'm not going. There's nothing. But his, his actions say everything. He's, it's a no. It's defiance. Although a prophet of the Lord, he's human. Here's the thing. He's not a robot. He's like, Jonah, I want you to go, okay, God. You know, that's not going to happen, right? It's like, all right, God, but I've got my own free will here. I get to make a choice. You might have called me into ministry, but I still get to make a choice, right? I'm choosing, no. And that was his choice. I'm going to do it. You know, it's funny because we read all the other, all the other prophets and like, and God came to Isaiah and he said, do this. And Isaiah went and did it. And God came to Jeremiah and said, do this. And he did it. And God came to Noah and said, do this. And Noah's like, I'm out of here. And not the right way out of here, right? And so the question is, why? Why was Jonah so defiant? Why was Jonah so rebellious? Why was Jonah not being a good prophet? Why wouldn't he even go there? Let's throw some possibilities out. We can all come up with some guesses. My first guess was maybe he's scared. Maybe he is scared. Because when Jeremiah announced to Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army was going to destroy the city, they arrested him. They threw him in a pit and he was going to die. Thankfully, he had some buddies that helped him get out of that pit. But a lot of times, in the, you, know, you hear these prophets, bad things happen to the prophets. And maybe he's thinking, bad things are going to happen to me. I don't want to go. I, I know what kind of king and kind of ruler he is. and Maybe I'm a little scared. Or maybe he thinks... I'm not going to be very successful. See, and, and quite honestly, there's a lot. Of, I ask athletes all the time, what do you fear? And this, these are some of their, their fears right here. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. A lot of people, a lot of us don't do things because we don't want to, we don't want to fail. So we don't even try it. He knows, you know what, if I go to, this is a huge city. This is a great city. And it's like, they are the enemy of God, by the way. And if I go there and tell them that God is going to put judgment on them and they need to repent, nobody's going to listen to me. That's like Nancy Pelosi going to Florida and say, move to California. It ain't going to happen, okay? That's my only political joke for the day. I stopped there, okay? Some people are like, they get political in church. That was it, okay? I'm done. So, okay, let's go to the third one. There's a third thing. Maybe, and it's not about being not successful, maybe the fact that he is going to be successful. What if they do repent? What if they do give their life to Jesus Christ and then, or, or to God, and then it's like, 
that would be horrible because I don't like these people. Now, here's the thing. We open up Jonah chapter 1, and there's no given answer in the opening verses as to why he did not go. But we get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, it said this. This is Jonah talking to God. Hey, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, God? This is why I went away to Tarshish. I knew you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to angry, and you are filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God would show mercy on these people. And that made him mad. Just think about that for a second. Jonah didn't want people to be saved. What is his job again? He's a prophet of God, and he doesn't want people to be saved. I think he's in more for the, the judgment part. Go tell people they're going to burn and let them burn, right? Maybe that's more of a the Jonah feel to it. But he had been, if you look in 2 Kings chapter 14 under King Jeroboam, he had had an incident there where he's like, oh, I saw how God acted there. He's going to do it again. I don't want to be a part of that. Assyria, that's a bitter foe of Israel. And actually, after the story of Jonah, Assyria, uh, they destroy Samaria. They take the northern ten tribes of Israel. It's like, man, they're mean. And, and, and maybe that's why Jonah's like, I don't want to go there. I mean, why can't God just deal with nice people? Why can't God just reach out to people who look like they could become a Christian? Why do we have to reach out to people who are mean? Who are people who are so like, I don't know, not like God. I mean, you know, you think about it, it's like, what, maybe you've thought about this. Like, what if I go and tell them that there is a hell? And then they're like, oh, I don't want to go to that hell. Is there a heaven? But then I'd have to tell them about heaven. And then like, well, how do you get to heaven? Then I'm going to have to tell them about the cross. And once I tell them about the cross, they're probably going to want to give their life to Jesus. Great. Now that mean person is a Christian. And it's like... Is that really what happens out there? No, because I don't think we ever get to that point. I think there's a lot of churches in North America right now that we don't reach out to people who are different from us. We like people who are like us. I think we look around, we can even look around a church today, it's like, yeah, a lot of, looks like a lot of us look alike, right, for the most part, right? Where's the diversity? Where's, you know, where's, you know, and I understand we're in small town, northwest Ohio, but you get into the bigger cities and the churches look a little bit more diverse, as they should be, because that's the way it's going to be in heaven. There will be people in heaven of different shapes, sizes, colors, ethnicities, everything. Multiple hair colors. They'll have so many tattoos. You don't know if that's their, their shirt or their skin. They might have so many piercings. You could take a magnet and run into them. I mean, it, it, there's going to be so kind of different kind of people in heaven. They're going to be so different than us, and that's going to be so awesome. But we haven't fully understood that yet. Because, because they're different than me. I don't know if I can talk to them. And that's so oftentimes how we feel. And maybe, maybe that's what's going through Jonah's mind. These people are different than me. They're my enemy, maybe. I don't know. But this, this is where we need to understand that God is a God of mercy. He is a God of mercy. He does not give to people what they deserve. He does not give to me what I deserve. That's mercy. And whether or not people deserve judgment or not, that is God's choice, not mine. In a day where 
prejudice and hate inflame our emotions and pervert our judgment, Jonah speaks with a compelling force about how we have limited our love and towards fellow humans. And I look around this world today, and I see a world that is quick to judge and slow to show mercy. If there's ever such a time to speak of mercy, today is the day. We must show more mercy, right? Well, what happened to Jonah? He basically went to the opposite side of the earth. I mean, when you look at the map and see Tarshish was probably on the far east coast or far coast of Spain beyond Gibraltar. So, you know, look how far away that is. And, it's, and Jonah basically, I'm going to go the most opposite direction I can from Nineveh, which is in the east. And again, you know, it's sort of like an illustration if I, I had to find this one from somebody else. But basically it's like this. It's like a Jew who lives in New York City during World War II, being told he's supposed to go to Berlin to speak to the Nazi Germany, but instead he goes over to San Francisco and gets on a boat and goes to Hong Kong. That is more like Jonah right there. He went down, you know, and here's the thing. So he goes the opposite direction. As a matter of fact, as soon as you start walking away from God, by the way, everything starts to go down in your life. I don't know if you ever noticed that. When you start choosing to disregard the voice of God, a downward spiral begins in your life. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the lower deck. In the next chapter, he went down into the water. And it's a continual downward spiral. And then the amazing thing is, is he says this. He goes, I'm going to flee from the presence of the Lord. That was his thought. I'm like, you're going to flee from God? Jonah, you're a prophet. You should know you can't. Right? Because you've probably read some maybe previous scrolls and you've probably heard the word. And, and again, there's scripture that they would have known. He would have memorized. And I'm sure he would have heard of Psalm 139 where it says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I can't hide from you. The psalmist is quick to tell us, God sees it all. You can't run from him. Jonah knows this, and then why is he running? I mean, we'll try anything. Well, we will get out of it. I'll get on my bike, I'll run, I'll get on my knees, I'll do anything uh, just to escape the presence of the Lord. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't. And actually, church, there might be somebody in here this morning that's running from God. Maybe it's you. Have you been running away from the Lord? Has he been calling your name? Maybe you're in here this morning and just like, I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe he's been calling you and you've just been running from him. Maybe you have a relationship with God. He's been, he's been calling you to go do something, to be obedient in some way, and you've been running away. I know. Been there. Done that. I'm going to tell you, you can't outrun God. Adam and Eve we should have known from the very first people that were on this planet. When they messed up, they tried to they tried to hide from God. Did it work for them? No. Did it work for Jonah? No. Is it going to work for you? I'm going to tell you right now, no. So you might as well surrender now. It was a downward spiral from here. But you know, I have to think, I wonder. I wonder if Jonah in the back of his mind was sitting there going, but, but God orchestrated this. I mean... 
Yeah, I went towards the port, but I got there. And guess what? There was a ship in the port. <laughs> he provided a ship for me. And, and you know what? And then and there were sailors on it. And they were going. I mean, look what God provides. We do that all the time, don't we? We're like, well, I wasn't going to, but the car was there. The person was there. The money was there. I mean, if God didn't want me to do these things, he would have taken those things out of there. And we, we justify our actions by the fact that, well, I, if God didn't want me to do it, he should have taken that out of there. But did you read the rest of the part of that? Who paid the fare? Jonah did. It was still coming out of his own pocket to pay the way where he was going. We are still responsible for the choices we make when we run from God. The man who was called to get up was going down. I don't know if he thought when he got on board, he's like, sweet dreams, I'm going down below and I am going to go to sleep. And when I wake up, I will be in Tarsus. I'll be, you know, it might take a while, but you know what? Oh, he was in a rude awakening. We'll talk more about that next week. Here's the thing. Life isn't simple, is it? It's hard at times. The judgment that we sometimes bring up upon people is wrong. To show mercy is hard. But here's the thing. God was about to not only show Nineveh mercy, he was going to show Jonah mercy. He was going to show the sailors mercy. And you're going to see this time and time again in this book. And why would God show anybody mercy? Two verses I want to share with you, and we'll close with this. First one is from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 and 5. Pray this way for kings and for all in authority, so that we can live peaceful, quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases our Savior. Listen to this part, verse 4. Who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth? There's one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, there's only one who can save us. His name is Jesus Christ. And you know why he's saving us? Because God doesn't want anyone to die. He wants everyone to be saved. Everyone. First Peter, or I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, the Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. You know why? Because God is a God of mercy. He shows us mercy and then he says, and I'm picking you to show mercy as well. Worship team, would you come forward, please? You know, Jonah seems to be this disobedient, hypocritical, uncaring jerk of a man of God, right? And you sit there and think, why would God pick Jonah? Because I think there's a lot of us out there like Jonah who say, why would God pick me? He's not picking me. He's picking the people that, you know, well, he picked you, Rex, because you always, somebody always said you're probably going to be a pastor. They saw a pastor in you when you were a little kid. Nobody's ever seen that in me. Nobody's ever complimented me when I was a kid. And everybody said, you're going down the wrong path. You know, nobody ever looked at me and picked me. Maybe that's why we're talking about Jonah today. Because maybe he's picking you. Maybe you would never picture yourself as one to show mercy to others or that needs the mercy of God. But God's picking you. God knows exactly what Jonah was like. He knows exactly what we are like. And he says, I pick you. 
I'm going to show you my mercy, and I want you to show my mercy to others. Listen, we can run. We can disagree. We can try to hide. But God shows his mercy to you and I, and he picks you. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for being a God full of mercy. You know every single thing about our life. You know the good we've done. You know the bad we've done. You know what we deserve. We, we are no much better than those in Nineveh, than the Assyrians or any other armies that were opponents to you, God. We all been rebellious. Your word says there's there's none righteous. No, not one. But in the midst of our rebellious attitudes and sinful actions, you showed us your grace and you showed us your mercy. You gave us what we do not deserve and you do not give us what we do deserve. So God, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for offering us the gift of salvation when all we need to do is humbly bow and say, God, you are God, I am not. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me new. Help me to live a righteous life, a holy life. I want to live that wonderful life that we talked about so many months now. God, there might be somebody in this room right now that's running from you. They don't want to pray that prayer. They don't want to surrender. God, I pray today they stop running and they run to you. There might be somebody in this room this morning, God, or somebody watching online that's saying, I've been been running. I know it's the right thing to do, but I'm not doing it. Maybe we just need to stop running and confess and get it right with you and get back on track. Or maybe, God, there's somebody near us running because you gave them an assignment to do something for you, to be a missionary, to serve. But all we've come up with are excuses. God, help us to stop running. Help us to turn and face you because you are a merciful God that accepts us back and loves us right where we're at right now. God, thank you for being a merciful God. God, we love you. And we want to worship you now in song. Lord, hear our song. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.